It is very typical at the beginning of most Blue Water services for uh, uh, Blue Water sermons for the speaker to give you a little warm-up questions or provocations or exercises to kind of get us in that place of openness and faith and shamelessness. So I got like a, I got like a whole series of them this morning. I'll just kind of be asking you questions and trying to get you to think and to kind of be open and to examine and to converse with the Lord. So it's a participation sermon even more than usual. Uh, so you're really going to have to put your heart into it. Good news, bad news? Yeah, six people are excited. Uh, everyone else should have gotten more coffee. So here's, here's how we're going to start. We'll start easy. A year has passed, right? A new year is beginning. All right. All right, we're there. We're in the place. In 2020, should we live in the now? Is that a good thing? That's kind of, that's kind of one of those cultural pop phrases. Hey, man, live in the now. Are, are you pro living in the now? Yeah? Is that a good thing? We're going to live in the now. All right. Uh, how many of you want to live in the past? All right, so we're agreed that's a, that's a bad thing. We're not going to live in the past. We're going to live in the now. How many of you want to live in the future? I, I, see, well, I see a hand. I, see, I, I have two yeses. How many of you are live in the future type people? Anyone? I got, I got like four people that are living in the future. You're kind of time traveling. Is that good? Are those four people right? Should we just like condemn those four people right now? Let's find out. Let's, let's, let's suspend judgment for, for a while. Um, I've been thinking about the future lately, which is, I think, part of a New Year's resolution exercise, right? It's part of self-inventory, which I always like to encourage around this time of year. Like, well, I mean, what is the future going to hold for you? Because part of living in the now is, of course, living in such a way that your future unfolds fruitfully, right? And so you have to be future-minded in, in, in that sense. I've, I've been thinking about the future. I, I, have a, I have a morbid turn in my personality, Anybody? Have you seen this in me? I can be a little dark. And so when I think about the future, what I, what I, what I do is I go far ahead and then I work my way back. So I, I like typically skip to the day of my death. <clears throat> and here's, here's what I've been thinking about that. Whether it's the day of my death or just sort of, you know, one of those consequential days in the future, I'm pretty sure there's a point coming in my future in which I would give everything I have to live one more normal day, you know? And I've been thinking about the things that I sort of cherish or should cherish. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a point coming in the future in which I would give pretty much everything I have at that moment to watch one more old TV show rerun with my grandmother, right? You know what I'm talking about now. There, there's a point coming in my future and given the condition of my knees that may be coming sooner rather than later, in which I would give everything I have just to be able to run one more five-miler with my daughter, right? Or to go boogie boarding once more with my son. Or to play the guitar once more for my wife <clears throat> as she sings. Something like that. Is that being future-minded? I think... Thinking about those things help me to live rightfully and well in the now. 
I'm not really taking that anywhere this morning. That's the end of that. But I just wanted to put us in a frame of mind. I mean, how, when, when we project into the future, you know, what, what really are we thinking about? Are we thinking about achievements? Are we thinking about what's valuable? And those can be different things. What's really valuable in your future? And how does that help you live today? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about that. <clears throat> okay, that's plenty of time for that. Let's not be too reflective. Uh, let's, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's dig a little deeper. Warm-up question number two. You ready? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Think about it. What's wrong with you? How many of you have some ideas? Yeah. How many of you would need more than eight seconds to list? How many of you would list a lot of things that aren't actually important? You know, that's another thing to think about when you approach New Year's resolutions. What's wrong with you? Well, I'm 15 pounds overweight. Really? Because that's not what I would have chosen. You know, you know what I'm saying? What's really, what's really wrong with you? Um, I spend a lot of time in gyms because I'm, uh, I'm an athletics coach, help my kids with that, and it's how I spend some of my, you know, free time. A lot of people that kind of live in the gym, you know, and they're doing one more set of bicep curls, and it's like, man, uh, I just, I'm just going to get these pumped this year, and I hear them talking to each other, and, I, and I, I can't help but be judgmental. God forgive me for this. God forgive me, but I'm thinking... That might not be what's wrong in your life, you know? Maybe there's something else that could bring a little balance and restoration and significance uh, to your life. Um, and then, of course, as soon as I judge someone else, you want to turn that back yourself. You want to look at yourself in that full-length mirror that they have in all the gyms and be like, yeah, well, what's wrong with you? I mean, really, what, what should you be thinking about? It's not what's wrong with your life, not what what's wrong with your situation, but what's wrong with your thinking? What's wrong with your behavior? What's the real issue? A form of this question is often asked in job interviews. You know, what are your strengths? What are your advantages that you bring to this job? What are your weaknesses? Have you ever, have you ever asked that, been asked that question in a job interview? What, what, are your, what are your weaknesses? And of course, what's the trick in answering that question in a job interview? The trick is to confess a weakness that makes you sound really good right? What's your weakness? You know, we're going to hire you. Tell us, be honest, what's your weakness? And then you say something like, well, my problem is I care too much. <laughs> right? Come on. I know some of you have used that. I care too much. Well, frankly, I'm a little bit of a workaholic and I need to correct that, right? That's what you say. And we have versions of that in life, you know. What's, what's going on in your life? What are you improving? And we have, we have ways of confessing things that really kind of make us look good. You confess the proper things. Uh, a better thing to do in life is to figure out what your, what your real weaknesses are, not to paper them over with like false weaknesses that make you look like you're being honest, make you look like you're improving yourself, but you're really just kind of avoiding uh, the issue. Uh, because if you're not honest with yourself, then your thinking and behavior will almost certainly be cracked somewhere if you haven't developed that skill of, of, of self-honesty. And self-deception, man, that's a tough one to root out. Do you agree? Do you agree? 
It's complicated. Pride can get in the way, which is fear of looking bad. Legalism can get in the way, which is fear of being in the wrong. Um, so third question, which is kind of related, is honesty the best policy? Is honesty the best policy? Oh, you've become quiet now. Honesty is the best policy. Raise your hand. Honesty, not the best policy. Mm. Caution, the best policy. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's an accurate representation of where most of us live. Honesty, the best policy. I'm a big truth guy. I think I have a powerful truth culture in my life. And one of the ways this manifests is that I almost pathologically seek the truth about things. I'm, I'm, I'm an investigator. I'm a learner. I'm a researcher. You know, I love to seek the truth about pretty much anything that interests me anything I think it's important. And I don't think that truth culture is valued nearly enough in the world. I worry a lot that popular culture is moving away from the value of truth and moving toward the value of, I don't know, feelings maybe, something like that. Um, but you know what's valued even less than truth seeking? Telling the truth. I think that's valued even less. Simply telling the truth or telling the simple truth I don't think is valued very much. And the hardest person to be honest with, the, har the, the hardest person to tell the truth to is yourself. I mean, obviously, the hardest thing is to tell yourself what's true, to be honest with yourself. Uh, truth versus kindness, which is more important? Yeah, trick question, right? Because if truth and kindness don't go together, you have compromised both of them. You know, truth and kindness, another word for kindness, might be love. Uh, in my experience, <clears throat> very few people leave this church because I've said something wrong, because I've said something untruthful. But dozens and dozens and dozens of people have left the church because I've said something that bothers them. And that's a different thing. That's a different thing. I will get accused of being mean. I'm very rarely accused of being untruthful. Right? You know the difference? And I think we relate to people in that way. It's like, I don't care if you're truthful with me. I do care if you make me feel bad. <laughs> um, and I think that's often how we relate to ourselves. You know, we kind of protect ourselves from truths that are uncomfortable. Uh, sometime. There's this idea in our culture that truth can be mean. Um, that love should always dominate truth, right? But of course, the reality is there should be no tension between the two. Uh, in famously in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices with the truth, it says. That's a scripture that's read at a lot of weddings, which I always find just a little bit entertaining. <laughs> oh, you believe that, do you? Come back to me in year three of your marriage. Love rejoices with the truth. It says if you're not truthful, if you're not honest, your love will become constricted. And love knows this. Love knows the value of truth and, and, and sacrifice. Ephesians 4, one of my favorite <clears throat> statements on the matter. 
We should no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. <clears throat> we should do away with that sort of instability and relational instability. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Truth and love are of the same spirit. They both bless people. Honesty and love, same spirit, same spirit. It has to do with maturity and blessing and fruitfulness. And just to bring it back, being honest with yourself is a great way to bless yourself. Being honest with yourself is a great way to take care of yourself kindly and lovingly. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me about that this morning, but I think it's worth saying. And self-honesty is a, is a difficult thing to, to cultivate. Uh, one of my favorite uh, inner healing ministries, inner healing movements, is the 12-step program. I say it's one of my favorites because it's the most popular uh, inner growth program on earth probably. You know, 12 steps like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and stuff like that. It's not perfect. In fact, uh, I've read, <laughs> because I think that to seek the truth about things, I've read, you know, research on the effectiveness of 12-step programs for chemical uh, addiction, and uh, they're about 10% effective. One out of 10 people that go through them actually make it. But they are broad, you know, and, and, and they are successful. You guys have heard of the 12-step programs? Uh, what's step number four? Anybody know? Make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. You gotta be honest with yourself. You know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, but step number four is just doing a whole inventory of how you're doing and sort of cultivating an ability to evaluate yourself honestly and fearlessly, I love that word, to be a fearless evaluator of yourself. I think loving should maybe be in that phrase as well, to evaluate yourself in a loving manner because self-honesty is not mean, right? It's kind. Being self-critical, that sounds mean. Being self-honest, that's a better word. That sounds productive. That's why I use that word. <clears throat> self-honesty, good? All right? That's kind of what we're talking about. Uh, okay, big shift, big shift. Name the Ten Commandments. Think about it for a second. How many of you have been around the church for, let's say, oh, two years or more? All right, so we have these things called the Ten Commandments. How many of you have heard of them? How many of you have known about the Ten Commandments for, oh, decades now? All right, go through your mind and name all ten. Go. I'll give you a way to keep track. You have 10 fingers. Every time you flip one up, you should be able to give one of the commandments. I'll be easy. You don't even have to do them in order. Oh, that's a summary, cheater. A good summary. A good summary. If you're visiting today, if you've never spent any time in a church or read a scripture, I don't mean to make you feel awkward. This is just a little honesty cultivation exercise that we're doing. 
I'll give you uh, 15 more seconds. Some of you are thinking, Commandment 11, memorize scriptures that you should. All right, how many of you could do it? Let's, let's be honest. How many of you could do it? You got, you got nine and a half? Is that what that means? You got nine. You got nine. Could anybody do it? One? Two. Ariel can do it. John and Ariel. So our two teenagers could do it. Let's hear it for our kids program at church. We all need to go through it. All right. Well, that's really interesting, I think. Because um, I've done that before. How many of you have heard me do that before at Blue Water, you veterans? Didn't help, did it? All right, very quickly, let's go through them uh, and use your fingers. Okay, so number one would be, I'm, Lord thy God is one Lord, How, have no other gods beside me, or no other God before me. So there's only one God. Uh, don't worship more than one, all right? Uh, <clears throat> incidentally, the way they get numbered varies a little bit according to your tradition, so, but this is the one used in most mainline evangelical. Uh, number two, No, no graven images, no carven images. So don't turn God into an idol. Like you can't make a statue and say that that's God or something, which was an important commandment in ancient times because everybody made these little stone gods. For us, it's probably going to mean something more like, do not put God in a box. Do not make God into a process. Do not reduce him to a ritual or something like that. And don't just park him on Sunday and forget him the other six days or something like that. Number three. Not yet. Don't take his name in vain. Don't misuse the name of the Lord is probably the way it reads in most of the, the popular translations. Uh, in other words, you know, you're not in control of God, right? He's in control of you. He's the Lord. You're the follower. He's not an object for incantation and evocation or something like that. All right, now number four, Sabbath. Remember the, the Sabbath and keep it holy. Uh, which is going to mean have a day of rest. Have a day of rest uh, because it's good for you, Jesus would say. How are you doing on that one? Poorly. <laughs> um, number five, honor your, your father and your mother, and all the parents knew that one. That was a gimme. Excellent. We make sure that the kids understand that one. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what are we on here? Number, number six, that, thou shalt not murder. We got that one. Whew. Good. Uh, how's that going? Because, you know, we'll confess and forgiving grace here. Um, <clears throat> it's an important one, actually. And Jesus made clear that, that what the commandment really made is, meant is, like, don't hold anyone in contempt. Don't treat anyone as undeserving or unworthy or lower than yourself. That's the spirit of murder and destruction, and we want to stay away from that. Now how are we doing on that one? It's harder, yeah? Jesus was like that. Um, number seven. 
steal. Wrong. Seven is adultery. Do not commit adultery, which Jesus made clear means don't, don't lust after people. Um, don't, don't desire someone to use them without loving them, that sort of thing. <clears throat> All right, now number eight. Dial an hour, don't steal. Good, don't steal. Uh, don't take what's not yours. Uh, live generously and honestly uh, in that way. Number nine. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't slander anyone. Don't say untruths about someone. Don't hold wrong opinions about people, I think would be the deeper spiritual reality. You know, don't, don't uh, be unforgiving and bitter and judge people in your heart. Nothing like that. And last one. Thou shalt not covet. Don't want something that somebody else has. In my experience, that's the one that most people forget, which is very American of us because our entire marketing industry is built on covetousness. And you covet what you don't have. You covet what other people have, and you want to be one of the cool, sexy, rich people. Am I right? All right. Good job. I think the, the design of the Ten Commandments is that they map to the fingers. And it's a good way to kind of carry with you a moral inventory and to reflect on things. Well, how am I doing today? Well, I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, let me, let, let, let me check. Um, am I making something a God I shouldn't? Well, you know, um, am I putting God in a box and kind of leaving him out of this part of my life? Um, am I pretending? Am I using God instead of letting God, you know, shepherd me? It's like, oh, how am I doing on that Sabbath? Well, Vern, uh, how are we doing? Not so good. Um, and, uh, you know, am I honoring those who have gone before me um, so that I can receive the blessing that passes down through the generation. And if I judge anybody unfair, I can just go through all of those things really easily uh, with my fingers. And I do that from time to time. I'm just suggesting that in a time of resolution and self-inventory and prepping for the new year, the Bible sort of hard codes for us a really easy way to do an inventory that is thousands of years old. So, you know, the human tradition of faith recommends it to you, uh, so do I, and uh, it's nice that there are 10 commandments and 10 fingers. It works well. How many of you are gonna memorize the 10 commandments this year in 2020? Totally wasted section of the sermon. <laughs> All right, let's get down to the gravamen of it. Next question. Confession is good for the soul. True or false? Really true. When's the last time you confessed an embarrassing sin to somebody? How many, time, how many of you have done it more than four times this year? This year. Not, not in your life. No, like in, 20, no, in 2019, this past year. All right, four or five of you. Uh, so we don't really believe confession is that good for the soul. Otherwise, we uh, God followers would be doing uh, a lot of it. Confession is good for the soul. By confession, I mean it's like telling somebody else an embarrassing mistake that you made, getting it off your chest. <clears throat> something that, you know, not, not just a mistake, but something that's a little embarrassing, you know, something that's a real mistake. Not like, I care too much. That is not a mistake. <laughs> that is not a mistake. You know, it's like, actually, I don't really give a fig. Like, that, that would be something worth confessing. I don't, I don't really care at all, 
and I've been letting it slide for three months now. That would be, that would be something to confess, something like that. Is that really good for you? Is it? Would that be a good thing to confess to your boss at work? No. So let us, let us rephrase. Let us refine the question. How many of you believe confession is good for the soul? How many of you believe confession is good for relationships? More complicated. More complicated. And we worry a lot what people think of us, don't we? And sometimes that's fairly wise. The person that you confess an embarrassing mistake to, well, that can't be just anybody. It has to be someone who is, who is trustworthy or at least will handle that confession in the right way. And, and that, can be, that can be kind of difficult. I think the problem is that confessing honestly to people around us is so complicated and, and occasionally fraught with peril that we don't practice it very much. And that can pretty easily translate into a habit of not confessing to God well either, you know? How many of you confess your sins regularly to the Lord? Well, I mean, even that needs to be practiced if you're going to get good at it. Uh, so that's, that's my concern. If you're not confessing honestly to the Lord, well, then you're not really being honest with yourself, right? There's sort of this cascade of shutdown. We get to a point where we're just really not doing healthy self-inventorying at all. And that can be unloving and unkind to ourselves uh, if we do that. There's a lot of uh, advice in the Bible about uh, making, admitting mistakes a regular thing so that uh, you can be all business about it, so that you can be good at it, so that you're not overly emotional or overly fearful about it. The Bible recommends to us that we cultivate confessing mistakes in our life, that we have a way of going about doing it regularly so that we stay healthy. And I think the sort of health the Bible is talking about is this self-honesty thing so that we don't deceive ourselves into working on the wrong things, papering over stuff that's really eating away at our lives or our souls on the in interior. Uh, Christian traditions call this the sacrament of confession. A sacrament is a sacred practice that you do regularly. Today we're going to do communion. <clears throat> communion is a sacrament in Christian tradition. It's, a, it's a, <clears throat> a ritual that was actually handed down to us from Jesus himself. Uh, and one, one Christian tradition is to approach communion in a confessorial spirit, that before you take the bread and the wine, you take a moment and do some self-inventorying. You're going to approach the altar of communion I don't know, is there something that you got to get right between you and another person? Is there something that you got to get right between you and God? And how do you get something right? Well, the first order of business is forgiveness, right? You forgive another person or you seek forgiveness from another person. You seek forgiveness from the Lord. You just sort of get it off your chest, you know? Clear the air. We have all sorts of great phrases. Uh, for this. I put a scripture uh, in your program, one of the many uh, that have to do this, I, you know, I had to pick one. 
Um, this is by no means the most famous one or the most quoted one. <clears throat> but it's a good one um, from 1 John chapter 1. It's in your program. It's on the big board. And it goes like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That is such a powerful phrase, yeah? All right. If we're not honest about our own mistakes, then we don't live in truth. We're, we're, we're restricting the operation of truth in our lives, which is kind of scary uh, when you think about it. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Yay? And purify us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive and purify. Make better. Make it all right. You like that verse? Why is it important to confess our sins? Is it so that God will forgive us? <clears throat> Well, what Scripture says is if you confess your sins, the Lord is faithful and he'll forgive you. Like, I mean, that's, that's pretty surefire. There are plenty of examples in Scripture of, of the Lord forgiving people their sins even without confession. You know, Jesus made a habit of it. Um, Mark chapter 2, when the paralytic is lowered through the roof and set before Jesus, the first thing Jesus says is, hey, your sins are forgiven. The paralytic has not even asked for forgiveness, hasn't confessed everything, and in fact has just vandalized a home. He and his friends have dug through a roof. Jesus says, no, that's good, that's good. And the religious experts that are there get really angry at Jesus and say, hey, you can't go around forgiving sins as if you're God, willy-nilly. Like, you know, we have rituals for that. You know, we have sacrifices. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. But that you might know that I have authority to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. Let me do this miracle. The guy stands up and walk, and Jesus, like, drops the mic. Um, he's like, it shows you, you know, that I am pretty godly in how I do things. Forgiveness in the kingdom of God is actually fairly easy to get, you know. But you do want to be honest so that you know what you have to work on and so that you give God something to work with. I think what's really important about this scripture in 1 John is the, is the second clause. <clears throat> he will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. A big reason for confession is so that we get purified from whatever the problems are that we are confessing. I think that really, that's, that's really more the issue. If you're not willing to be honest about what you have to work on, it's very difficult for the Lord to work on those things with you, right? And if you can't work through whatever is bedeviling you, pardon the phrase, um, then you're going to be stuck, man. You're going to be stuck. And the danger of sin is not that God won't accept you because you have sin in your life. News break. You all have sin in your life. God accepts you. He loves you as much as he ever will, which is infinitely. Woohoo! Yay. <clears throat> but your sin can tear you away from God because sin is addictive. You know, it's almost like a chemical addiction. 
it doesn't go away if you ignore it. In fact, it kind of grows and it wants to take control. The first thing God says about sin in Scripture is to Cain. And he says, sin is crouching at the door. You must master it or it's going to master you. Is how God put it. If you let sin hang around in the doorway, pretty soon it will make a puppet out of you. It will begin to control you. It will reduce you. And if you're not careful, you'll paper it over with self-deception and kind of let it foster in that room that you're not paying any attention to. And, and suddenly, at the end of 2020, you're just a smaller person than you ought to be. You're just not living the life that you were meant to live. And if you're a real self-deceiver, you throw yourself into self-improvement activities that have nothing at all to do with the thing that is really restricting your life. And you don't want to do that. And the only way I know to kind of assure that doesn't happen is to practice self-honesty. And if you practice it enough, then it's very easy for the Lord to say, <clears throat> Jordan, about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I gotta be honest about that. Frankly, I'm not doing so well in that area. Okay, all right, now I can work with you. Maybe, maybe you ought to share that, you know? Maybe, maybe, you ought to, maybe you ought to tell Ben about that so he can keep you honest, because you know he's struggling with the same thin, sin you can tell by looking at him. No? Pretty sure. You thought I was honoring you, and then I twisted it at the end, didn't I? That's why I think that confession uh, is important. <clears throat> I, uh, I don't want my, my sinfulness, my bad thinking, or my bad behavior, or my immature feelings to keep me from doing the important things in life. I surely don't want to get to that day in my future where I look back on my life and think, man, I, I would do anything to, you know, to just... I don't know, watch one more rerun with my grandmother or just run one more five-miler with my daughter and then think to myself, I should have done that stuff while I had the chance, but instead I was doing this crap that I shouldn't have. I don't want to live in regret, you know, regret. I had this dream once, a dream that I will never forget as long as I live. Uh, and in this dream... Um, I faced this little temptation and uh, I didn't even fail. I started to fail at it. <clears throat> and then in the dream, I was whisked to hell. It's the only time I've, I can say something like that. You know, and I don't, I don't really know how to define hell. I just say in the dream, it, it, was, it was not the place I wanted to go, okay? Um, I think our ideas about hell and judgment are, are kind of off. But this was a, a place that felt like hell to me. And here's what it was. Here's what it was. I was standing on a beach, and it was completely barren, and there was a sea in front of me, and the sea was not water. The sea was all blood. Okay, that sucks. Right there, not an encouraging place to be. And that is an impressive scene, right? I mean, that's a scene that would stick with you. I'm telling you, that's not what was impressive about the dreamscape to me. Here's what was impressive. It was not how I saw things. It was how I felt. And when I woke up from this dream, and I woke up gasping and sweating, when I woke up from the dream, what I remembered most was the emotion I had in hell. 
and, and the emotion was only one. There was only one thing to feel. That's what made it hell. And the thing I felt was regret, which is the worst emotion of all. Because when you regret, there's nothing that you can do to fix it, right? There's nothing that you can do. And I was just overcome with my regret. And the insight I had in the dream, even before I woke up, was hell is when you have nothing but regret left. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. Terrible. I would have done anything not to have that feeling for eternity, you know? And then I woke up. And I was like, oh, thank God it's not the future yet. <laughs> thank God uh, I have... Um, I have life ahead of me, life that I can live correctly. That's really not a dream about judgment. That's not a dream about God judging me. That's a dream about living life well. You know, living life in such a way that I will not end it with major regrets. You know, nothing to save, total regret, which I hope uh, does not happen. And these little inventories that I do at the beginning of every year are, are designed toward that. It's like, you know, when I get to that <clears throat> moment that are those moments that I will have in the future in which it can no longer really change the past in a significant way, I don't want to be thinking, I really spent my life incorrectly. And now there's nothing I can do to fix that thing. You following me? And that way I like to be future-minded. <laughs> I like to live in the future uh, so that it shapes my now as, as much as possible. Anyway, self-honesty, confession, inventories, ten-fingered inventories, they are, these are ways in which uh, I help myself uh, to be future-minded in the limited sense that I'm talking about. <clears throat> You're probably not going to confess your sins uh, regularly to people unless... <clears throat> You're in a culture that makes you do it. Uh, I'm thinking a lot this year about, well, how, how can Blue Water make confession a regular and healthy thing for people? Because I really think it's, it's self-helpful, you know. It's self-helpful because it really encourages self-honesty. And I don't know exactly how to do it. I'm thinking that maybe if we build confession booths and then during service you can walk in, would that work? No? All right, I'll strike that one off the list. <clears throat> That's a way to ritualize it. I wish there was a way to do it in which we didn't have to ritualize it, but we could just popularize it instead. But I know where it starts. I know where it starts. And it starts <clears throat> not by confessing your sin uh, to the person next to you, but by confessing uh, issues, problems to God. It's between you and God. You know, I said at the outset of the sermon that, that this section of the service is going to be between you and God, so the end of it will be between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to confess your sins uh, to me or to someone on the prayer line today, unless you want to, in which case, great. You're not going to confess anything I have not heard, believe me. And if you do, I give you a star. I give you a gold star. So, because it's very rare I hear new and interesting sins. <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you to do that today. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to keep it between you and God. Think about it. I've uh, constructed this sermon 
perhaps in a boring fashion, just peppering you with questions about self-honesty and things that might be going on in your life. And I'm not stupid. I know that as I've talked, things have flashed through your mind. It's like, well, actually, maybe this is something I've been trying not to be honest about. Maybe this is a situation that I've been self-deceptive about. Here's how you know you're self-deceptive. You think about the thing, and you don't say yes or no to it. You just complicate it. Well, I don't know. That's actually a complicated story. I mean, I mean, I guess that's not ideal, but it wasn't all my fault, you know, something like that. Just, just keep it simple between you and the Lord. Uh, no one else matters. Like, well, this is something that I, I've done that's wrong. You know, maybe you say, I could have done this, but I didn't. I could have done this good thing, but I didn't. I had all of 2019 to do it, and I made, I made a very poor attempt. You know, so that's one sort of a, a confession. Or, hey, actually, uh, I shouldn't have done this, but I did. And in fact, I keep doing it. And that's, that's wrong. So I'm just going to be honest about that right now. Uh, because, <clears throat> one, you'll forgive me. And two, <clears throat> now you can do something to purify me from the unrighteousness, from that which is not right in my life. So that's another thing that you might confess. So I'm just going to give you a minute. Uh, to work it out. If you are stuck, if you're one of those aggravatingly righteous people, then you can go through the Ten Commandments. You can go through your fingers, you know. Um, and uh, you've got more or less five commandments that have to do with your relationship with God and five commandments that have to do with your relationship with, with people. Love God, love others, you know. One God, honor God, Sabbath, stuff like that. Don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, stuff like that. All right, have I prepped you enough? Can we do this? This is just between you and God. This is just between you and God today. Just between you and the Lord. He is in the house. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray for an honest conversation. You have spoken to us, Lord, and uh, in a searching and fearless capacity, <clears throat> we are speaking honestly with you.
Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Uh, can I get the communion servers up here, please? It's the uh, first Sunday of the month. Indeed, the first Sunday in the new year. It is our custom on the first Sundays to, uh, <clears throat> to take communion together. I mentioned earlier that uh, by Christian tradition, uh, communion is one of those rituals that are often uh, coupled with, with confession, at least like confession between you and God. Is there uh, something that I need to do to preserve, to make right, you know, my relationships maybe with other people, maybe your relationship with the Lord? Is there something that you've been neglecting to deal with? And uh, <clears throat> I've invited you to deal with that. Uh, some of you have things now that, uh, that you're willing to be honest about. Let's just leave it there today. And in fact, I will make this recommendation to you going forward one thing at a time. Some of you might have had eight or nine things that you were babbling to the Lord that you need to fix. Just pick one, just pick one, you know? If you pick one, you're probably more likely to get the one and not distract yourself with, uh, you know, the third tier problems uh, in your life. No, there's usually one or two roots. So just pick one, just pick one. And I invite you to come forward at, the, at this new year, come forward for communion in a spirit of repentance, thinking about it in a new way. And the first way to think about it is honestly and inviting the Lord uh, to make it white. If we confess he is faithful and will forgive, that's dang near automatic. And then we'll purify and then we'll restore and renovate your life in such a way that you get to live without that burden, that you get to change your behavior and your thinking. And, uh, and when the time comes, you won't have the regret. You won't have the regret. And that will be a true gift from the Lord uh, for you. So in that spirit, uh, come forward this morning. Uh, there are stations on the sides, you can see, and then there will be two up front. Just go to the one that is nearest you. Just take a piece of bread, uh, dunk it uh, in, in the juice, and then take the elements at your leisure uh, when you feel uh, that your business with the Lord is done. If you are uh, a seeker this morning, if you're just visiting, if you've never gone through this, you don't even know what you have thought about God up till now, well, I encourage you to take this moment to start a new relationship with God, to jump in and say, well, honestly, I could really use you in my life. And let that be the beginning of your faith journey with Jesus. Come forward, take a piece of bread, dunk it in the juice. Uh, that's a great way to get started. After we finish communion, the prayer line will be over along the Makai wall. You can approach them for prayer in this new year. Maybe you just want prayer for a new year. Or maybe you've come this morning with a, a need for help in your life, something physical that you want healed, uh, or something personal that you want revolutionized. Maybe you want to go to them and actually confess something to get it off your chest. Um, um, not necessary, but sometimes a good practice. On the night before he died, Jesus was sharing one final meal with his friends and disciples, and he took the bread that they were sharing, and he broke it, and he said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. Share in this. In a similar way, he took the common cup of wine that they were sharing. He held it before them and said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a new way of working with the Lord. This is my blood poured out for you. 
This is God sacrificing for you because that's the way it starts. Later on, you might sacrifice for God, but remember the spirit in which the Lord has approached you, a spirit of brokenness and humility and sacrifice. And then he said, as often as you share a meal together, remember me. Remember how it works. God sacrifices for you. You can trust him. Let's get started in Jesus' name. Come forward when you're ready.